Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. El Tour de Tucson is this weekend, but that cycling event is only part of the pedaling culture here in southern Arizona. Plenty of people push the pedals to work every day. On today's show, we talk about how local government is working to improve the safety and ease of that commute. So we're really focused on providing low-stress bicycle facilities for people of all ages and abilities to make it more convenient, safe, and accessible for anyone to ride. Recently, the Pima Association of Governments conducted its annual bike count to find out how many people are pedaling their way across the metro area each day. Ariana Brocious brings us that story. It's a sunny, brisk morning in downtown Tucson during the morning commute. I'm at the corner of 7th Street and 7th Avenue with Rick Ellis and Paul Casertano, directors of transportation services and transportation planning with the Pima Association of Governments. It's time for their annual bike and pedestrian count. So we're observing some of the commute patterns and uh, transportation patterns of vulnerable users. Those are bikes and pedestrians, says Paul Casertano. So we're collecting information about some of the patterns uh, at various locations throughout the region in order to better understand some of the trends associated with bicycling and pedestrian, as well as uh, some of the site-specific uh, issues that may be happening. In addition to a simple count, they collect data on various aspects of cyclists that cross the intersection they're watching. We are looking at both age and gender. We're looking at helmet use and again some of the other behaviors such as whether there's wrong way riding or what the approach looks like. Uh, at some locations we look at whether or not the push button crossing is activated properly. So we try to keep track of those types of things. When you say approach, what do you mean? So we're looking at which direction they're approaching an intersection from so that we have at least that data of what commute feeders might be more prominent than others. Rick Ellis says that data helps improve the safety of local streets. What we're able to do then is take that information, help plug it into various long-range planning efforts and activities, as well as help feed information to the local jurisdictions for specific project improvements that they want or how they can tackle these different types of issues and activities. The bike count data is collected by local government employees and a lot of community volunteers. So it's been going since 2008, and it was started as a volunteer-driven initiative. And uh, so we're able to establish trend data the longer we do it so we can better understand uh, some of the commute patterns and, and uh, the overall growth or decline of bicycle and pedestrian use in the entire region. Ellis says that long-term data really helps local jurisdictions understand how bikes and pedestrians use different kinds of amenities, like bike lanes and crosswalks. Since we've been doing it in 2008, that's given us kind of a nice range of data elements. So as the jurisdictions work on implementing that, they've got a more robust number to work off of and a little bit better historical trends so they can kind of see specifics, exacts, you know, okay, that was a weird year. We're not going to necessarily design or cater to that. So it really does aid the jurisdictions. So what does the data show? Casertano again. We're seeing a steady increase in uh, bicycle and pedestrian activity throughout the region. Some locations are um, growing a little faster than others. Uh, as you can imagine, we see tremendous activity around the University of Arizona where parking is an issue and there's a high level of uh, bicycle and pedestrian activity. That continues to grow as that population grows as well. 
but one of the things that it allows us to do is not only understand the trends, but also understand a little bit more clearly what the, um, the safety exposure looks like for a vulnerable user. So with vehicles, we often will look at how many vehicles are entering an intersection and establish a crash rate, because it may not be the most active intersection that's the most dangerous. It may be an intersection that has less traffic, yet it has more crashes taking place. So to better understand how many bicycles and pedestrians are going through any location gives us a clearer understanding of whether or not there might be safety issues going on there. One of the things that also has come out of that is uh, a better understanding of the different types of users. So we've been able to now differentiate between skill levels of more experienced riders and if we can, we'll often design facilities or the jurisdictions will take care of facilities that can accommodate those a little bit better so the more skilled users can be in a certain area and the less experienced, younger, less familiar, they can now be in a slightly different area so we can get a little bit better separation for efficiency and for safety. Pima Association of Governments data shows about twice as many men riders as women riders. Casertano says that's typical across the nation. We have seen over the years a higher use for some of the push-button crossings, for example, bicycle boulevard-type crossings, hawk crossings that have been accommodated to cycling. We're seeing a higher uh, usage by females and by younger riders. So um, oftentimes we try to promote and we see from the jurisdictions an aim to design from 8 to 80 so that all users can navigate the facility in a safe and effective manner. So we put out a bikeways map and it kind of draws the eye and draws the user to those bicycle boulevards, uh, the loop, those types of facilities that have less exposure to traffic. No surprise, but the data does show that we're seeing less crash activity on those types of facilities. So we're trying to provide those as the first option. Ellis says they try to communicate that the roads are for everyone and need to be shared. We're constantly conveying the message of multimodalism, that everybody's out there, we're designing the facility to be used by all legal means and methods, and that it'd be essential for them to all share that and to be aware of that. So that's educating drivers, that's educating pedestrians, anybody with younger kids, as well as the older folks. So we really make sure we try to spread that around, constantly reinforce that message that transportation's all modes, all equally accommodated, and making sure that they're fair and handled safely. For The Buzz, I'm Ariana Brocious. You can find a link to the data from the annual bike count on our website, radio.azpm.org slash the buzz. The Tucson metro area is growing, and that means more cars on the road. Local officials want the growth, but they want to encourage alternative ways to get around town. Andy Bemis with the City of Tucson's Bike and Pedestrian Program tells us what kinds of things his office is working on to help bike riders and pedestrians in the metro area. First, just the goal and mission of our office is to increase the number of people who choose biking and walking for their transportation needs here in the city while making it safer for them to do so. So under that umbrella, we engage in a number of activities from engineering and planning of, of uh, facilities on our streets to education and encouragement activities and then evaluation of those efforts as well. So on an engineering side, you know, we're really proud that our region has over 90% of our major streets already have bike lanes on them. 
At the same time, we know that a bike lane on a major street with heavy volumes of car traffic and high speeds of traffic isn't that accessible to most people, right? So some people feel comfortable riding there. A lot of people don't. So we're really focused on providing um, low stress bicycle facilities for people of all ages and abilities to make it more convenient, safe, and accessible for anyone to ride. And typically that comes in the form of three different types of infrastructure. The first would be completely off street bicycle and walking paths like the wonderful loop system we have here and a number of other shared use paths and greenways throughout town. The second would be bicycle boulevards, which are on residential streets. And those are cross town biking corridors that are about a quarter mile off the major street network that are prioritized for people biking and walking. So that would look like traffic calming in the neighborhood stretches. So the cars that are there are going slow. When the residential street connects with a major street, there will be a push button um, for cyclists and pedestrians to stop traffic and safely and comfortably get across a major street. Those are the type of improvements that go along bike boulevards. You might be familiar with Third Street as a prime example. There are a few others around town. And actually, in early 2017, our mayor and council adopted a bicycle boulevard master plan for the city, which designates 64 future corridors for bicycle boulevard improvements across town. So we can really have a connected network of those. And then the last type of facility would be a protected bike lane. And so those are for those major streets that have high volumes and high speeds of traffic. They also tend to have a lot of the destinations where people want to go. So it's important that we have a safe and inviting bicycle facility there as well. And a protected bike lane basically provides some form of vertical separation between the moving car traffic and bicycle traffic. And that can be curbs or parked cars or planter boxes or flexible posts. We have a few examples of those in Tucson already. When we talk about major streets, we have a lot of bike commuters and people riding bikes around the University of Arizona, but of course it's bounded by Campbell and Speedway, which are major streets. Is there anything that can be done with major streets like that or the bike lanes that are there? That's the best that can be done because of the volume and everything that's already set up there, buildings and things. Oh no, there are definitely things that can be done. Of course, those things will tend to involve trade-offs in space. And so that's really all about how we prioritize and allocate our roadway space here in the city. So um, like I mentioned, we have done a good job of providing a, a bike lane on most of our major streets. You know, a next level of treatment would be a, a protected bike lane. And that can be done either by uh, moving the curve back and adding more space or by repurposing uh, lane space from vehicle traffic to bicycle traffic. And we've done a number of, of those types of treatments over the years to improve bicycle facilities. The Pima Association of Governments does their annual bike count. When your office gets the data that they collect, what happens? We use that data in a number of different ways, and sometimes it can be for a before and after study of a new improvement. So we'll have the data, you know, we'll know how many people were biking and walking in an area before we installed uh, a new push-button crossing, for example, a new bike boulevard, and then we can look at that data after and see did it indeed attract new ridership. We can use it for planning efforts as well and see where are people riding now. So it might be in areas where we don't have very good facilities or, for example, that data, they keep track of if folks are riding a bike on a sidewalk, which in a lot of times, you know, can be understandable for someone who's not comfortable riding in the street. Um, then again, it often is can lead to uh, conflicts with cyclists and cars and pedestrians not expecting a bike to be there. So if we get that data, we can see that there might be need for a better treatment in an area where we're noticing a lot of people riding on the sidewalk, for example. You mentioned riding on the sidewalk, and I know the laws vary from community to community across the country, and we have a lot of new people here. What is the law in the Tucson area when it comes and Pima County when it comes to riding a bike on a sidewalk? 
in Tucson, it's not legal to ride a bicycle on a sidewalk unless otherwise uh, noted. So there are a few locations around town where we've thought that it's safe and most convenient to route cyclists on the sidewalk. And those are mostly around downtown. And so there will be a sign indicating that it's okay and often a pavement marking on the sidewalk as well. Otherwise, not a great idea. Definitely not a great idea if you're riding against the flow of traffic because that leads to some higher level of conflicts with turning vehicles who wouldn't expect to see you there. One of the issues on the November ballot, Prop 407, uh, a bond to upgrade Tucson parks, but it includes funding for bikes and pedestrians. When it comes to the part for bikes and pedestrians, what kind of projects would be next on the list? There are several biking and walking improvements included in the Prop 407 Parks and Connections Bond Program, many of which of the type of infrastructure I just mentioned. So um, there's a significant number of our bike boulevards from the Bicycle Boulevard Master Plan included to be funded in the bond. There are a handful of new protected bike lanes on our busier streets, as well as a few off-street greenways and pedestrian improvements like sidewalks and shade and push-button crossings across major streets. We're talking with Andy Bemis, the City of Tucson Bicycle and Pedestrian Program Coordinator. Tucson ranks very highly on national bike-friendly city surveys. Is it accurate? Yes and no is my short answer. I think certainly it is accurate and for some good reasons, and there is still a lot of important work to do. So we do have more miles of bikeways than a lot of other cities our size. We have higher bicycle ridership relative to a lot of other cities our size. We also have higher level of severe bicycle crashes for cities our size. And so from a safety perspective, there's certainly more work to do. Another reason we're focusing on trying to build out our low stress bicycle network to give people safer alternatives. That's from a sort of transportation, commuting, cycling perspective. From a recreational perspective, this is really a fantastic place to be. And I think one of the reasons we rate so highly is because of our really large population of recreational road cycling and mountain biking in our region. It seems like when I see road cyclists, uh, many of whom train a little while commuting to and from work and things, it's a lot of men and fewer women. Does Tucson need to do something to encourage women to get on bikes and young people also? Yes, and that's a great question. Women and young people are typically considered a sort of indicator species of the quality of your urban cycling environment. And so it's great to see spandex-clad men out, you know, training on their road bikes. I think it's even even better and wonderful to see children, older people, women feeling comfortable riding on our infrastructure. And so we do have a long way to go to improve that, and I think we're making good strides. Do things like bike boulevards help with that in the protected lanes? Absolutely. Um, there are several very good studies out there from national bike advocacy organizations like People for Bikes or the League of American Bicyclists that do show protected bike lanes and bicycle boulevards and off-street infrastructure like the loop and shared-use paths are very good at attracting what we would call interested but concerned riders, people who really want to ride more but are concerned about their safety doing so in our current infrastructure. Last year, the city introduced the bike share program Tugo. We're a year in. How's its usage? We're very happy with its usage. It seems to be embraced very well by the community. Um, with just 330 bikes and 36 stations, we see an average of almost 100 trips a day. We've had over 27,000 trips so far to date since launch. So we're very happy with the way it's embraced. Of course, we'd always love to see it grow. We're doing our best to promote the program and, and provide it 
at lower costs and more accessible to more people. So to that end, we've introduced two new um, membership types to the program to make it more accessible to folks and a new partnership with the U of A for a discounted rate for students. And then I really want to highlight our efforts at making it accessible to low-income people in our community. We have about a 19% of all of our memberships sold are low-income fares. So if you qualify for a reduced rate transit pass or federal food assistance, then you automatically qualify for to go for all pass, which is that $5 uh, unlimited rides for a whole year. The two new passes that we just opened in November have to do with feedback we've been receiving on the system so far. So a lot of people wanted a lower cost barrier to entry. So wanted a cheaper price to just try out and have one trip. So we've introduced a single trip fare of $4, so station to station. And then a lot of people wanted a longer than 30 minute limit. So with most of our past structures, you have a 30 minute ride limit. Um, you have to check the bike back in. You can check it out and continue riding again for no additional charge. But if you wanna go on a longer ride without checking a bike back in, there's additional charges. So a lot of people wanted a longer rider riding experience. So we've introduced the Explorer Pass, which is a $15 day pass, and that gives you a three hour limit. And so for $15, you can have unlimited three hour long trips. I know it's popular on the university campus. I've also seen stations by the main library downtown. Are there any thoughts of expanding the program outside of downtown and the university, or is that really the core? Well, we would love to expand to the entire city. Obviously, there's a big cost involved with that, and um, it's working very well. I will say it's a little bit outside of U of, only U of A in downtown right now. So it goes as far south into South Tucson, as far west as Menlo Park, as far north as Mountain and Copper around South Point High School. So it has a little bit broader coverage already, and um, it's working well. But yes, in the future, we'd love to both expand the service area and provide more stations in the existing service area so it's more convenient for more people. Going back to a little more general topic, what types of education does your office do for folks who are peddling and those who are walking? We have a, a fairly robust youth education program I'd love to highlight. So we partner with the Living Streets Alliance and a local nonprofit called the Environmental Education Exchange to do classroom education for biking and walking, encouragement and safety. So we're in third grade classrooms all across the region, both in the city and outside the city limits, doing biking and walking safety education programs. I think we're in over 130 presentations each year and looking to grow. We also do some more in-depth focus school work at a, at a handful of schools where there's regular weekly safety and encouragement activities going on. We support several after-school bike clubs at elementary schools around town. And then in partnership with the Living Streets Alliance, again, we do a mobile bike repair program that goes around to different schools and community centers to get those bikes fixed up so people can get on them. Do you do education of drivers? Sometimes they need some education on bike commuting also. Absolutely. And we share on our social media accounts, the Tucson Bicycle and Pedestrian Program, Facebook and Instagram pages. We do share sort of driver education tips as well. But honestly, it's not an area that we have robust education right now, somewhere we'd really like to grow. And I'll give a plug for our, our regional partners as well. So Pima County Bicycle and Pedestrian Program has a really robust education program, both for adults and youth and for drivers. All right. Well, Andy, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thanks for having me. That was Andy Bemis with the City of Tucson's Bicycle and Pedestrian Program. To find out more about the city's bike programs, visit our website. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're talking about bike commuting in the Old Pueblo. Biking to work is more than just a way to get exercise. Major employers in the area face the problem of getting people to and from their jobs and having enough parking for them. 
The University of Arizona particularly feels the pinch, with more than 50,000 people coming to campus each day. Jessica Hirsch-Ballering with the university's Office of Parking and Transportation says UA offers a number of programs to support and encourage bike commuters. First of all, we have over 10,000 free spaces on campus to park your bike. Um, Those are those U-racks that you'll see all over. We also have some free bike valet parking now in two locations, one on the campus mall right by the Nugent Building and Old Main. And also um, now up by Health Sciences at Warren um, and Helen. So you can park your bike there for free between the hours of 7.45 a.m. and 6 p.m. We also have bike lockers and bike enclosures, which are available for a fee, but they're really great, really secure locations to park your bike, especially if you're a staff member and you're coming in and you're working in the same building all day long. Those are a good option for you. Now, admittedly, I have a, a bike enclosure uh, spot right by our building, and, and I do love it because it's in a garage and it's covered. So in the monsoon, when it rains, my bike is dry and and safe. Do a lot of people use those or are most people just using the free things? It's a variety. I think that I would love to get the word out about bike enclosures because we don't see those filling up quite as quickly. Bike lockers are a little bit more popular, but the more people ask for them, the more we're willing to put on campus. What's the overall goal of all these uh, alternative modes? The reason I'm so interested in biking and walking and alternative transportation is because it's just a healthy and sustainable way to get to campus, and it's a lot of fun. There's also lots of research out there that says that using active transportation to get to campus, like biking, walking, or even just walking to the bus stop, gets you more ready for the day, uh, makes you a more productive employee, and makes you less likely to take sick days. So it's a great benefit for the university as well. And I would assume the University of Arizona, like every other university I've ever seen, has a car parking problem. Uh, More people want to park than there are spaces even possible, so I would assume this helps offset that, too. Exactly. Yeah, we only have so much space on this campus, and ideally we want to dedicate that space to classrooms and to research buildings and to places like AZPM. We're talking with Jessica Hirsch-Ballering, the Alternative Modes Program Manager at the University of Arizona. Last year, the city of Tucson introduced the bike share program Tugo. UA has a partnership with them. Uh, I see their racks around campus. What is the partnership? The partnership just started out as uh, the U of A saying, yes, you can put your great uh, resource here on campus. The stations are not just on campus. They're throughout the streetcar corridor and downtown. But the partnership has morphed into something really great right now that I'd like to share. For the next year, students can get a half-priced annual membership to Tugo. Um, So it's only $40 instead of the full $80. And you can buy it right on our website, Parking and Transportation, through the same portal that you buy your parking permit from. I see students just taking them across campus, going over maybe by 6th Street and things like that. They seem pretty popular just as a way to get across campus, too. Yeah, they're really easy to ride. Um, They're really easy to check out. You can do it all on your phone app. Yes, you can use it to just get across campus, but you could use it to get all the way to Reed Park or to get downtown to have a great dinner. Let's talk about the cost of parking on campus. Uh, It seems like it goes up every year. Does that influence how many people are biking or taking the bus or some other alternative form of transportation? I'm sure that for some people, um, when it goes up, it it changes their behavior. Um, That's something that I think it's great to have a little incentive to change your behavior. So one thing I'd like to mention about our parking prices is that building parking garages costs a ton of money. 
So the U of A Parking and Transportation is an auxiliary department. The only money that we use is the money that we collect through these parking fees. It's about $25,000 per space to build a parking garage space, which means at the rate we're selling them, um, selling our parking permits, it's about 36 years before we can pay off a parking garage. So that's a lot of money. And we understand that the parking permit cost can definitely be a big deal for a personal budget, but it's really small compared to the actual cost of, of building a garage. We've spent a lot of time talking about bikes and people commuting on bikes into campus, but what are some of the other alternative modes of transit that you all are encouraging people to use? Well, for a long time, parking and transportation has been encouraging people to use SunTran and SunLink for students and for staff. We'll pay 50% the cost of your annual or your semester permit to use those modes of transit. In addition to that, we've just started in the last year a commuter rewards program. It's called Ride Amigos. You can find a link to it on our website. Uh, but basically, it's a great resource for planning your trip, especially if you're new to thinking about alternative transportation. If you're just used to, to driving and you want to think about how would I get here by bike? How would I get here by transit? You can go to Ride Amigos, put in your home address, put in the address of your Bork building, and it'll give you all of your options in one place to say this is what you're bike route would look like. This is what your transit route would look like. This is the bus you get on. So we encourage people to check that out. And then if you track your trips, if you if you everyday log the bike trip you take in or even the, the carpool trip you take in, you get points and you can trade those points in for prizes in our commuter store. If biking or walking or taking transit isn't the right option for you, maybe carpooling is or maybe even just using a park and ride. Um, and those are both great options for uh, saving money as an individual as well. Is the university's goal to be a bit of a model for uh, the Tucson area when it comes to alternative modes of transportation? Absolutely. The campus is already such a beautiful and simple place to bike and walk. And we do work with the city and the county to try to make sure that there are connections. So once you're on campus, it's easy to get off with um, safe and convenient connections like the Fifth Street Crossing at Euclid or Third Street. Tucson always ranks highly when it comes to bike-friendly cities. As someone who does bike commute, do you think that's accurate? I think that it is a great place to bike. There's always challenges and there's always ways to make it better, but I love biking. I bike with my three-year-old on the back of my bike. I feel relatively safe. Like I said, there's always ways to improve it, and I think that there's a lot of great organizations out there, including the U of A, trying to make it better. Okay, so if you're queen for a day, uh, you said relatively safe. What are some of the improvements you'd like to see? More of the great stuff that we have. Tucson invented the Hawk Crossing. Those are those lighted crossings that you can push a button to cross a busy street. More of those. Those are a great resource for bicyclists. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you. That was Jessica Hirsch-Ballering with the University of Arizona's Parking and Transportation Office. She says current data shows around 10% of the UA staff bikes to work each day, and they estimate the number of students riding to campus is even higher. And that's the buzz for this week. A look ahead at next week. The city of Tucson is contemplating raising the age to purchase tobacco, but will it really help reduce smoking? We'll find out. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.